Um, but we have a question from the Old Testament uh, concerning Leviticus chapter 12. And, um, of course, I've been doing questions and answers for a long time. I've uh, been uh, done it at other congregations. In fact, two other congregations when I was the preacher there. And so every now and then we'll get questions that are repeat, which I don't mind covering again because they might not have been here when they were covered at other times. But I can honestly say this is the very first time I've had this particular question and had a question on this particular text. Let's see what we can do with it. Leviticus chapter 12. I'm going to read the entire chapter because it's only eight verses. And then we'll uh, pose the question to you that's been posed to me. Leviticus chapter 12, beginning at verse 1, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a woman have conceived seed and born a man-child, then she shall be unclean seven days. According to the days of the separation for her infirmity shall she be unclean. And in the eighth day the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. And she shall then continue in the blood of her purifying three and thirty days. She shall touch no hollow thing, nor come into the sanctuary, until the days of your purification be fulfilled. But if she bear a maid child, then she shall be unclean two weeks, as in her separation, and she shall continue in the blood of her purifying threescore and six days. And when the days of, your, of her purifying are fulfilled for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring a lamb of the first year for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or turtle dove for a sin offering unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation upon the priest, who shall offer it before the Lord and make an atonement for her, and she shall be cleansed from the issue of her blood. Thus is the law for her, this is the law for her that hath born a male or a female. And if she is not able to bring a lamb, then she shall bring forth two, two turtles or two young pigeons, the one for the burnt offering and the other for a sin offering, and the priest shall make an atonement for her, and she shall be clean. Well, here's the question that's been asked about that particular chapter, and there's probably a lot of questions that could be asked about this particular chapter. But the question that has been asked about this chapter is, well, I'll just read what the question says. In Leviticus chapter 12, why is a woman unclean longer if she gives birth to a daughter than if she gives birth to a son? Now, I don't know how you would answer that, but I'll give my best answer to that particular question. But before we try to answer that question, um, when we first look at this chapter and we first think about the question that's being asked, someone might think that, um, first of all, it's very odd, but other people might think, well, this sounds pretty sexist. Uh, if a woman has a boy, then she's unclean for a certain period of time under the old law, but if she had a daughter, then she was unclean for a longer time. In fact, looking at the text, the law specified that a woman who gave birth to a son was, and it's hard to understand perhaps in the King James, but it says that they would be ceremonially unclean for seven days. And if a woman gave birth to a daughter, she would be ceremonially unclean for 14 days. And of course the question might be asked, why would God require a woman to wait twice as long to be clean after having a daughter than having a son? Well, we need to make sure that we, first of all, understand that this has nothing to do with one, a boy being 
more important than a girl as far as God is concerned or whether a daughter is not as important. Um, this has nothing to do with the fact that if a woman has a girl that somehow or another she uh, is less in the eyes of God and somehow or another she is uh, more sinful than if she had a son. But before we actually get into the details of perhaps how we answer this particular question, we need to make sure we understand and appreciate what the old law was all about. You have this weird section here in chapter 12 that seems just so very odd that you have these number of days you have to wait after having a child. And obviously we don't practice that today. In fact, let me say nothing that we're going to be looking at today has any, any binding effect upon us. It has no effect upon us whatsoever. Uh, we're only looking at, at this out, uh, out of a curiosity because it has nothing to do with us whatsoever in the Christian age. But you need to understand and appreciate the fact that uh, all of this that we read about in the Old Testament was about holiness. God was setting a standard of holiness. And oftentimes, to set a standard of holiness in the old law, God would come up with rituals. He would come up with prescriptions. He would come up with things to emphasize that there was law-keeping that had to be made, and you had to keep that law out of respect to holiness to God. For example, we understand and appreciate the fact that uh, the Israelites, because of what God commanded in the old law, was not allowed to eat pork whatsoever. Uh, if Roger pulled up with his uh, nice smoker out there and had that big uh, slab of pork on there, and if Chris was a Jew, she couldn't go out there and stand out there and pick that pig and eat, and eat that pig. Now, we understand and appreciate the fact that... Um, when Roger has a pig picking, that is some good stuff. And there's nothing sinful with enjoying a good pig picking. But if you lived under the old law, then you violated the law of God and you violated His holiness. And it was sinful. Even though pork in and of itself is not sinful, nothing about pigs, even their characteristics, even though they play in the mud, nothing in and of themselves are sinful. They are created by God but in the case of the old law, God decided there was going to be a law that they had to keep and therefore they couldn't have pork. Also, as far as dietary laws are concerned, the Jews were not allowed to eat shellfish. Uh, when we go to the beach every year, one of the things that I make for the family and, and Jeremy especially looks forward to is I make a big crab boil. And I, put some, I find some of the biggest shrimp I can find and put in that thing. We put corns and corn and shrimp and potatoes, and, and it's, it's, all, it's good, isn't it, Jeremy? I'm pretty good at that. I should, should open a restaurant just selling crab bowl. And shrimp in and of itself is, is, is really insignificant. It's a little bitty sea creature, and when you cook it the right kind of way, it tastes wonderful. Uh, but under the old law, you couldn't have that. I couldn't uh, include any kind of shellfish, if you will, if I was making something under the old law, under the Israelites. Not because there's anything sinfully wrong with eating shrimp. Uh, we're not violating a law by killing a shrimp. We're not violating a law by, killing a, uh, by cooking a shrimp. We're not violating a law by eating a shrimp. Unless we lived under the old law because God decided that that was going to be something that was a law for the Israelite people. And if it has something to do with proving their, His holiness and they're willing to observe His holiness. And if they violated that law and ate a crab bowl, if you will, then they have sinned. 
even though I can eat all the shrimp I want today, and I never ever will sin except maybe if the sin of gluttony. But once again, you start thinking about some other things in the old law. For example, when God going through and describing, for example, the, uh, the tabernacle or describing the high priest's garment, he goes into very, very minute detail how every single article of the high priest's clothing needs to be a specific way and it can't be any other way. Or the temple had to be constructed and it had, had to have certain curtains a certain way and certain fittings a certain way and things had to be taken care of a certain way. Once, call, once again, in and of themselves, there was not anything particularly wrong. You don't find any morality in the things that were being done as far as the high priest garment was concerned or the tabernacle was concerned. But yet God said to prove holiness... I'm setting up these standards, and if you violate those standards, then you've broken the law, you are unholy in my sight, and you have sinned. In fact, even on the high priest's garments, over the turban he wore on his head, um, he had a, a, written across the top of his turban, it said, holiness to the Lord, signifying that it was all about being God and being holy and keeping his covenant. But as you go through and look at the Old Testament law and you think about uh, the dietary laws, you think about uh, the ceremonial laws, you think about all the intricate things as far as uh, tithing and all the intricate things as far as sacrifices, and even this chapter we're looking at tonight, all these strange rules that he comes up with, uh, we need to understand that one of the reasons why God did this was to show us and to show the Israelite people how hard it was to keep the law. God, as you go through, especially read the book of Leviticus, it is amazing how many different laws and commandments, some of them minutely that needed to be obeyed. I'm very thankful when I was growing up that uh, I wasn't living under the law of Moses because the law of Moses dictated that if I disobeyed my parents, they could take me outside the city and stone me to death. Now, we laugh about that because um, that's not going to happen today. In fact, some people don't even spank anymore. But I want you to imagine if you were a parent living in the Old Testament days, an Israelite mom and dad, and it's quite obvious to you that your son or daughter disobeyed you. Now, we have no record in the Old Testament of someone actually taking out their son or their daughter and stoning them to death for disobedience. But can you imagine the heartache and the pain or even the struggle that a parent would have when it was obvious to them that their child disobeyed them? Kids disobey their parents sometimes. Sometimes it's silly things like not brushing their teeth when they were told to brush their teeth. But according to the law of God and keeping the law and being holy before God... What did that parent have an obligation to do? Take that kid out and stone him. And once again, I don't know how many, kid, how many kids were killed that way, and I don't know how many parents actually would do something like that to their children, but that illustrates the point I'm trying to make. God wanted the Old Testament law to be something that was hard to keep. He wanted the Old Testament law oftentimes not to make sense to the Israelite people. And he put it within its ceremony and ritual 
to emphasize the fact that God wanted something done a certain way, even if it had nothing to do with anything as far as it being morally sinful or even made even, even any common sense. There's a passage we have in the New Testament, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14, that we oftentimes use to show, rightly so, that we're no longer under the old law. Uh, Paul there in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14 talks about how that Jesus Christ blotted out the handwriting of ordinances which was against us, which was contrary to us, and nailed it to the cross, taking it away. Now, the point of the verse is, as Paul explains later on throughout the chapter, let no man judge you as far as as Sabbath days or holy days or or, uh, dietary laws and that kind of thing because Jesus, when he died on the cross, took all that away. But don't miss the point that's also brought out in that verse. Notice it says that when Jesus died on the cross, he blotted out the handwriting of ordinances, talking about the, the Ten Commandments, the law, handwritten by God, but it encompasses all the old law of Moses. Jesus, when he died on the cross, blotted out the handwriting of ordinances, which was against us, which was contrary to us. Even Paul understood that the law was something that was exasperating, the law was something that was against us, that the law was something that was just contrary, oftentimes to just plain old common sense. And therefore, uh, in the Old Testament, we have such things as we do here in chapter 12, where for some reason, a male child is born and a woman is unclean for um, just 40 days. And if it's a female child, she's unclean uh, for 80 days. Uh, But once again, from a physical standpoint... From a scientific standpoint, you would look at this and you would study it and you think about it and you would understand and appreciate the fact there is physically no reason for a woman to be unclean longer uh, after having a female daughter of a female child than having a male child. There's no reasonable explanation for it. In fact, the only explanation for it is the fact that God decided that even though it may not make any sense, even though there may not be any moral or physical reason for it, God, like so many of the, of, of the other ceremonial and ritual things He instituted in the Old Testament, decided to make this a case. Just because, think about this, just because a woman uh, has a child doesn't make her unclean. Uh, people have babies all the time, and I don't think of those women being unclean. I think of that's a happy occasion. A child was brought into the world. But God, for some reason, decided that if you had a male child and um, you lived under the old law, then for 40 days you couldn't worship him. Now, that doesn't make any sense for me. That just does not make any sense to me whatsoever. And if you had a female child... You couldn't come into the sanctuary or the temple or the tabernacle for 80 days. Once again, that makes no sense to me. And why in the world would God require a sin offering at the end? Once again, you can do all the study you want. and You can get different men and opinions and whatnot. But nowhere in the Bible does it tell us why that is the case. Because obviously, um, 
having a child. There's no sin involved in having a child because the very first commandment that was given to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden was to be fruitful and to multiply. God expects us to have children. And as I was doing research on this and doing reading what different men and had to say about this, that a lot smarter than I am, uh, nobody could ever come up with a reason that it was set up this way. Um, I did come across something that was a little bit interesting, but once again, this person said it was just conjecture. But there was a tradition among the Jewish people that the reason why the male period of time was shorter uh, was because they knew that through a male that the Messiah would come. And therefore, there was a period of cleansing that was shorter uh, for the birth of a boy out of the hope that that boy would be a Messiah. Well, like I said, that's just according to Jewish tradition. There's nothing behind that. And um, I don't know uh, why that would have anything to do with anything. But I saw I throw that out there. Um, there, um, one thing I read that was very silly said that, uh, that somebody wrote that they believed it took longer to recover from the birth of a daughter than the birth of a son, which, once again, physically makes no sense because we know that it's always the same regardless. But I guess the bottom line answer to this particular question is simply this. Um, I don't believe that God was saying that when a woman had a male child that somehow or another it was better. I don't believe that when uh, you read this particular text you should get the idea that somehow or another that women are not on equal plane with men. I don't think that you should get the idea from reading this particular passage that somehow or another that having a baby is sinful. But I hope that you'll get from this passage this particular idea. How thankful we should be that we now live in the Christian age. How thankful we should be that Jesus Christ came to this earth and He died on the cross. And when He died on the cross, He did away with the old law with all its Sabbath-keeping and ritual and all the things that went through that. The purpose of the old law, of course, was to show to us, as we can even see in this particular chapter, that there is no way possible we can save ourselves. Um, if I lived under the Old Testament law, and Andrew or Katie or David or Jamie uh, disobeyed me, even rebellious disobedience, uh, I would just have to tell God, well, there's no way in the world I'm going to take this boy or this daughter out and I'm going to stone him to death. I guess I'm just going to lose my soul. But that illustrates the fact that the law had a purpose and it was to show us we cannot save ourselves. We can never, ever be holy enough as far as God is concerned. And God put in all that ritual, put in all those special specifications. He put all that stuff under the old law to prove to us that no matter how hard we tried, no matter how hard we worked, without the grace of God and without the blood of Jesus Christ, we are hopelessly, hopelessly lost. And therefore, this should bring us great joy when we get the opportunity to come together on the Lord's Day to sing praises to God and think about the great and wonderful gift He has given us through His Son, Jesus Christ. But the rituals are now gone. They were just a shadow of the things to come. But now we have Jesus Christ. And He is the one that kept the law for us perfectly because God knew that there was no way possible we ever could. And so tonight, if you're here and you're not a Christian, 
We want, to under, want you to understand and appreciate the fact that you don't need to wait till you think that you're good enough to become a Christian. You don't need to wait and think to yourself, well, I want to become a Christian, but I know almost as soon as I become a Christian, I know I'm going to mess up. No, the purpose of Christianity, the purpose of the grace of God, the purpose of the blood of Jesus Christ is to give us the freedom to keep trying, to give us the freedom to keep working at it, to give us the opportunity that when we maybe have been knocked down because we've done something that we shouldn't have done, we can get up, we can dust ourselves off, and we can start over again because we serve the God of the second chance. And so the old law, as we read Leviticus chapter 12 and what we may seem silly there or any other places under the old law, is to make us appreciate the fact that Jesus Christ came to save us when we couldn't save ourselves. So if you have a need this evening, won't you come as together we stand and sing?